something I was one bar too long there. Yeah, you were. Welcome to Beerfield. I am your host at Beerfield Hop with two Bs, joined by at Beerfield Thurry. Presented by at FF Faceoff. It's another week. We have another show with more content. Do another check-in on some some OTA stuff and do some ADP checks and just really checking in across the NFL. We didn't prep anything for this show, so it should be a good one. We love shows that we don't have to do any work in outside of just pulling up the information that we need to talk about. Said, and then riffing on stuff. it, and then we'll research it as we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do here. Maximum low effort. Our optional third uh, may or may not be with us tonight. No idea. He says not. That's what he said last time, and then he showed up. Um, at Beerfield on Twitter, Beerfield Podcast, where we get your podcast and YouTube information from. Um, hey, speaking of the FF Faceoff, this cool group that uh, that lets us like hang out with them and pretend to be part of something bigger. Um, they are doing a mental health potathon, July 16th and 17th. Uh, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, trying to raise money for the Hayden Hurst Family Foundation, uh, which has a huge focus on on mental health. A um, bunch of us will be writing our stories, our journey through mental health. We've talked about it on this pod um, and posting them there. Um, I will do at least one um, on my own. I might do two. We'll see. Um, but yeah, be sure to, to tune into that. Is it's going to be a lot. Of, there's about 50 people that actually write and contribute to the site. 50 good minds. Um, and a lot of people that have, have battled. So, um, you know, in that moment of vulnerability, it takes a lot of vulnerability to put your story out there. Um, so, you know, they're going to take the time to be vulnerable and open for you, myself included. Please take the time to, to check in and, and read that and support. Absolutely. It's uh, it's important that we continue to make talking about mental health important and, and it's highlighting the struggles and all the experiences that people have gone through as we as we destroy the stigma that is mental health and and all the negative stuff that comes from us, especially as as men who for many years were told to keep that shit inside and we constantly see the negative effects of it and just the looming effects, especially when you, you know, combine that with other, you know, substances and abuse and, and just, you know, the type of environment that, you know, that we can be in. So it's, uh, it's good to hear these, uh, these thoughts and these, these tellings and these confessions from, from our wonderful, you know, crew of, of writers and, you know, 
and the like and all the millions of people who continue to share their stories every day. Indeed. And with that, um, I believe you mentioned substance. <laughs> What's fueling beer fueled? I say that in jest, of course. Um, we 100% support sobriety. And, you know, just because we haven't really had addiction problems, people very, very much do. Um, we do this as hobby. We're not drinking to get drunk most of the time. With that, Dan, what are you drinking to not get drunk? I, I'm totally going against what I normally We'll put on the show. Okay, something. so it's not distill. That's good. It's not distill. <laughs> it's I'm trying to drink something basic. I've been on a real big lager kick or just trying some actual Ooh, you know, beer too. that tastes like beer. Today I have a beer that is absolutely not a really a beer. I have Energy City's uh Bistro series. This is the <laughs> strawberry banana uh smoothie style blender white. So I've had nice. these guys on before. They're based out of Chicago. Um, they're basically uh, the northern version of 450 North. For those of you who aren't, aren't familiar with 450 North, they are kind of the the poster child for Midwest smoothie-style beers. Um, I'll always give my support to Energy City because we have gotten some 450 North in, into distribution, and it's too fucking expensive. I'm talking like 40 bucks a four-pack. Why? But anyways... Again, cool experience, is, but really expensive. Yes, yeah, it, it it it's good stuff. But again, this is beer that isn't really beer; it's actually beer, but it's made to be not anything like beer. So this is a fun style. You have to every now and then you got to appreciate some of the uh, you know some of the crazy con- you know conjunctions that uh, that these people put together. So absolutely, what I'm drinking. All right. And for me, uh, I'm going something a little bit more widespread, uh, an expression that I hadn't seen from these guys yet, but I do know they distribute across the country, and a lot of times they're doing a bunch of regionalized stuff, so like to, holy God, she thick. Yeah, yeah that's I, what the- I, I just saw him. If you're not on <laughs> YouTube, Dan just took a drink of uh, that beer, and I saw it in his glass. It looks like a freaking smoothie. It is thick. This is the, uh, this is the Najee Harris. Yeah, beer. <laughs> it bulked up 14 pounds for no reason. Yeah, right. All right. Uh, I have New Belgium's 1554. 1554 is a English dark lager. Um, or dark ale, sorry. Brewed with spice. So it's dark ale with added spice, too. So it's between 45 and 50 degrees. That is a actual good point to bring up. We try to educate on this show, too. One point of education is that with darker beers and a lot of European beers, um, the idea is not to drink them ice cold. Actually, scientifically, one of the worst things you can do to a beer is pour it into a frosted mug. Um, a lot of them are, you know, served in the 36 to 38 degree range and are designed to be drank in the, you know, 40 to 50 degree range. So cool, but not ice cold. Obviously, refreshing lagers, a little bit different. American lagers are the one exception to ice cold because they don't have any flavor anyway. Um, that's so true. But <laughs> anyway, stray, catching strays there. Uh, they describe it as a surprisingly bright taste and a dry, chocolatey finish. Uh, one evocative of dark brews enjoyed in Belgian taverns. 
500 years ago. I don't know if Belgian taverns 500 years ago were using spices, but I'd imagine they're using some of these greens and everything. So, um, four of you, about halfway through the show. Again, New Belgium's 1554. This should be available pretty much across the country. So, I got to ask, because I had a beer today that was served into a glass that just came out of a freezer, a cleaner. No, no, a cleaner. Not warm. a freezer, but yeah. a warmer. Yeah. It was probably like in the 60s. Okay. What kind of beer? Yeah. That was just a hazy. It was one of mine. Mm. Okay. It, it, it drank fine. Right. You know, you know, beer, fine. cold, glass, warm. I'm just not used to drinking right out of a warm glass. It, no. It, it and threw me off. Hazies are not one of them that typically need to be served warmer. Usually warmer is to get grain content out of a beer. Um, more more bready, toasty notes show up uh, as it warms up. That's why it's a thing for stouts and porters and darker beers. Um, usually with hoppier beers, it's not going to matter too much what the temperature is. Um, and that has to do with, I think, can't remember the exact science behind it, so I'm probably going to screw this up, but it has to do with the, uh, I believe, the proteins and the way that the fatty acids show themselves, and most of that is coming from your grain, not your hot profile. So more robust bills with the beers with a more robust or a more focused grain flavor, drink them warmer. Makes sense. All right, cool. Now that that's out of the way, we've educated on the show. Thanks for tuning in. We're done. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. Now there's probably going to be somebody that's actually you know, certified in beer serving that's going to rip that apart, but or not, because not that many these, people listen to this show. But look at this stupid fancy football podcast they fall and they're talking about all this beer. Fucking morons. Yep. As he drinks uh, his Budweiser while typing into the YouTube comments. We'll do another tech topic next week that brought something else to my mind, but I'll save that one. It has to do with head. <laughs> On a beer. <laughs> not. not <laughs> Not under the day. Anyway. Anyway, get out of here. News. Hey, Dan. Yeah. Can you hold your beer up again? She's thick, in case you didn't see that earlier, because I never took down the intro graphic on YouTube. Oh, my God. I swear to God, we are professionals at this. I should just automate that. I know, like, I literally could time up that intro scene every time for when the music starts to have that graphic drop, and I'm just lazy and I don't. <laughs> so I do it manually, uh, and sometimes I forget. It happens. So It happens. Anyway, that's the only thing you really needed visuals for was uh, to see Dan's super chunky beer. So there it is. Dick. All right, running through the news, this will include the Coach Feet segment because I took no time to break this up. Starting off with some sad news, former Cowboys and Minnesota running, former Bears, Cowboys, and Minnesota running back, uh, Marion Barber, found dead in Frisco, Texas on Wednesday, 39 years old, uh, found by Frisco police in his apartment. Barber notably had suffered from mental health issues, no cause of death listed. Um, some of my earliest memories of actually playing fantasy and following the NFL strongly. Involve Marion Barber. It's so sad. I mean, you know, he's a golfer great. I think that's where the Minnesota part comes from. I don't think he ever played for the Vikings. Um, you know, he's you know, he's it was just, you know, from watching him, you know, 
with the Gophers to him watching him in Dallas and in the highlight plays that we we all know and love. He still has arguably the greatest two yard run that anyone has ever seen. Um, it's just sad, and, and again, and it just you know ties into the mental health conversations that we continuously talk about. So, indeed. Um, Chase Claypool says he wants to be more versatile in 2022, buying it or selling that. I mean, he's pretty versatile as is, unless he's going to play like cornerback or safety. I'm not sure how Claypool gets that much more versatile because he is used in a lot of ways. Yeah. There's no reason to move him in, you know, inside. Cause yeah, you know, Pat Fermi with, if you want to add a second tight end, I, I guess do that. But, um, I think for him, his breakout game, I think two years ago, we got to see him use in the screen game a lot more. So, you know, it depends how they want to line up the three receivers. So they want to work, you know, Pickens inside. If they want to move Claypool inside. I would prefer them to play, you know, Pickens inside. I think would be the best case. And just like you put Claypool inside though. You got to, I good. mean, a lot of, there was a lot of talk coming out about him moving to tight end. You put Claypool inside, you've got a big ass mismatch there. And if he had moved to tight end, he'd be, playing those slot snaps anyway yeah i mean there is there is a lot of uh there's a lot of things they can do with them in the in those spots i'm very interested to see how pittsburgh lines up their main three i think a lot of people may look at deontay johnson moving inside but he's so good as a you know you know as your main flanker receiver that they have claypool and pickens who can kind of play the same role obviously claypool's got the size over him but if they want to use them in that, you know, I won't say in a Debo way because he's not going to get handoffs, but they, if they really want to use them in a very unique way, moving them inside a bunch too and letting them kind of use this athleticism and size and mismatches, it's not going to hurt anybody. Well, and I want to dissect that a little bit, though, because he's not going to get handoffs, and I think for me that comes down to why not? If he's going to be more versatile, they're going to have to find different ways without – been there he runs a 44240 he's got a 1319 burst score he's hyper athletic and he's one of the few guys that actually has the size to play that debo role he's taller than debo at 64 but 238 i mean they're very very similarly built and he doesn't lack the athleticism there's no reason chase claypool can't play a debo role it, it, it won't be the same i mean there's no reason to ever give a 64 you know, player an actual handoff. But if you want to use them in that, you know, you know, in wide receiver screens or have them run shallow routes, you know, be be a little more creative with his actual route tree, and just want to put the football in his hands. It's, I mean, if I if if we knew that that Mike Tomlin and his OCs throughout the you know past one of the uses they won't get receivers cute, like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it. it that hasn't been that way since the Bill Crowder, you know, you know, days at Antoine Randall L. Mm-hmm. And that's because he had a history behind it, you know, dating back to college. So, you know, Claypool, I mean, it, I guess it'd be great, but I'm assuming he is going to be what he's been over the last two years. And he, that's an outside threat and a red zone threat. He has taken some handoffs. Um, it's not a high number in comparison to like Debo but it is a higher number for a receiver 24 over the last two years so it's not that they don't hand it off to him that ticks up to maybe two or three a game it's better I guess 
I don't know. Steelers are going to be an enigma because there's so much talent that you don't know what the quarterback play is going to be like or how they're going to scheme around that. So it's going to be interesting. But, you know, when it comes to buy or sell, to put a bow on this, at least for me, I think that I'm probably buying it if it's on sale. Um, <laughs> and that's just because the athleticism is there for him to be more versatile. The explosiveness shows is there to be more versatile. It's a copycat league. He does have the size to do the Debo Samuel stuff, which is the error in most people's arguments when they make a Debo Samuel comparison is they're trying to say it's going to be like Nicole Hardman, who doesn't have, have the size to do the shit that Debo does. It's a unique combination of power and speed that, that Claypool has. And, you know, he's underwhelmed. So if that ADP comes down enough, yeah, I'm willing to, to buy that upside a little bit and, and, I mean, it see if he can make pretty, it work in a more creative offense. It's always felt, you know, fairly low. I mean, he's, you know, they, he announces the draft pick of what many believe to be his replacement in Pickens after the 23 season. You know, I, I don't think they've re-signed Deontay Johnson yet. You're going to have, you know, Chase Claypool. It's up after Johnson after 23. I think Johnson's more, the more important player to this you know, to this offense, he can do more for them. But at, at the same time, I mean, you get a, you know, you get a guy like Claypool and you get a guy like Pickens and you have that pairing. It, it's tough. You know, he, the Claypool, I think between the three is actually the cheapest in terms of ADP. And I'm on board right with now. That. You know, Pickens slid, yeah. slid a little bit in the draft. Um, you know, he's get, like every rookie, you're going to have to earn that a little bit. You're not coming in is into this like wider receiver starved room like a Valus Jones is, for example. So, yeah. I mean, you can't just annoy George Pickens right out of the gate like that. I don't think. So Claypool is the cheapest of the three. It's an ADP episode. Where is it going? I am trying to find. It's a little bit harder to find Dynasty. Dynasty ADPs because a lot of these are not just coming off of startups. He's the eight oh seven. He's eight oh seven on FF Calc on Dynasty ADP. The just pulled up wide off. receiver. Hold on, I just pulled up. Um, he is eight oh seven behind Gabe Davis ahead of Juju wide receiver thirty eight in Dynasty. That's not what I want. So, so I swear I thought DLF had it. Well, you keep talking. I'm gonna see if I can find it on there. FF Calc has it. <laughs> That's what I was. I know, I know, but I know. But, I, I'm also yeah. Uh, DLF likes to use um their startup mocks. Yeah. What do you think? Never mind. Let's say where do you think <laughs> FF Calc's getting Dynasty ADP from? I mean, probably. probably startup mocks. <laughs> um Matt Corral, uh absent from OTAs. Uh tragedy in the family, so hope everything Jesus. is good there. He's supposed to be competing with Darnold. He's not gonna beat Darnold at a training camp anyway. This sets him back a bit too. Is a rookie going into that offense? So just something to note if you're banking on Corral and like a super flex draft is a this year breakout. And he was already probably not gonna break camp as a starter. He's raw. He might get a chance down the stretch. This is going to put him behind the eight ball a little bit there as well. Um, again, don't really like putting a football light on somebody's personal tragedy, but that's the reality of the situation. I think most people should, you know, should also, you know, take a note that he, 
he's he's probably like he wasn't going to enter no. uh, camp as a starter. I mean, his best case is that he takes over, you know, from Darnold, Darnold. struggles and then he takes yeah. over midseason and a loss season just to get experience and you show what he's got. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Steelers defensive end Stephon Tuitt retired after eight seasons. He missed the entirety of last year. Um, after his brother was struck and killed by a car during OTS. So Andrews as well. He's retiring. Best of luck to him. Paris yeah. Campbell in a 24 passes from Matt Ryan. He is healthy as of right now. Um, you know, you've got Michael Pittman over there who had a breakout year one. You've brought in Matt Ryan. Paris Campbell. You buy that 8 of 24. That's a 33% target share in OTAs. Does that translate to him seeing, call it 20 plus percent in the regular season, which with his explosiveness would put him in a wide receiver two conversation? There's no way he's going up that high. I mean, just historically, you don't see players jump to that massive degree in target share. I mean, Campbell was a second-round pick. Um, he hasn't, you know, fallen this far because of plays, because of injury. There's always a chance, but you have multiple quarterback changes, OC change. You know, um, you've seen multiple wide receivers uh, take it in the first three rounds. You've seen he's now seen two day two picks be drafted since him. Yep. It's it's very much a if he earns a role, it's likely going to be a slot gadget play. That's kind of what they've used as him since. You know, you're going to have Alex Pierce kind of play the TY role and Pittman, you know, continues to play the the X flanker uh, type of spot. Um, it's so early, right? We're It's June 1st, guys. It's, yep. it's great to hear that Campbell is healthy and that he's flashing. It's the reason why he was a second round pick. It's just. He's he's also free, effectively. You got you got your league mates. You got leagues right now drafting their rookies that are dropping players to make up room for, you know, for these new rookies. Paris Campbell is likely one of those players being dropped, <laughs> unless you got people like me who are truthers who are going to hold on to him. You're still gonna you're, you're gonna have a lot of people out there going to probably look at him as a drop candidate. And we are talking him, so. like free free. He is not going in the top fifty wide receivers in dynasty. Yeah, we're talking like very depending on deep your benches and shit like that. If you really want him, either wait till he gets dropped or trade a fourth round. He is a starting wide receiver as of right now with Pearson Pittman, so he'll be on the field yeah. in three yep. in three wide receiver sets at the moment. So as long as he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis Etienne said, "If I could be like Debo Samuel, I would love that." But of course, um, I mean, he's been hurt like Debo. He's so been he's hurt at- like Debo. Yeah, <laughs> he's um, halfway there. Also, you play the wrong position. And let's slow it down and take some NFL snaps first before you do before you go out there. We don't even know who you are yet. I so, mean, he did have 110 targets in college his did. final two seasons. So, I mean, That's a lot. I'm not saying that they're going to put him there. And we know that there are some rumblings about wanting to use him in the slot last year before he got hurt. He's not Debo. I mean, for fuck's sake, I think he's 10 pounds lighter than Debo too, like yeah, at least ten or ten or fifteen, and I don't know how many players actively would want to have a true Debo role. Just given the amount of punishment you take, and you're not going to get paid respectively what you're doing for your team. Just look at Debo now. So, I think 
But you're right, though. Let's just wait and see ETN get on the field. I do love that. I've always liked the pairing that they have, you know, with Lawrence and, you know, and that connection uh, dating back to college. I think there's a good role for him. But there's so many new targets in this offense. I mean, a shit ton. And plus the guys they brought back from last year. It's it's hard to know, A, where the target volume is going to go. Mm-hmm. Outside of maybe Christian Kirk, because you don't pay a player that amount of money to not try to get him the football. Um, Jalen Samuels is released. Remember when he was supposed to be a thing? Good day. Good times. <laughs> get out of here. I'm uh, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, I wish him the best. Coach Doug Peterson said he thinks LaVisca Chenault can help the team as a return man. Someone pointed out the Cordero Patterson uh, comparison, which is fucking beautiful. That actually been pretty good because Patterson. He's going the Patterson route right now. Patterson had a super slow start and was considered by many to be a bust. And then he's had flashes of brilliance between running back and wide receivers. So you you just got to find that role for him. He's got the same size as Patterson. He's probably a, a better developed receiver when he came out because Patterson, people don't remember, was insanely raw. Like he was all, all athleticism. That's the only reason why he got drafted when he did. And they found his niche. And if you can get the same thing from Chenault, then good. Uh, Rashad Penny back at practice. Uh, Deshaun Watson, 23rd woman, came forward. Um, let's see. There's a portion of the petition that came out from the civil suit, which reads, it was Watson himself claiming that even now he has no regrets and has done nothing wrong that solidified her resolve. She brings this case seeking minimum compensation, but to obtain a court, obtain a court finding that Watson's conduct was wrong. So base, I, I, I read into this one. This is one of the one of the original women to come forward. So she held back because of a fear of being ridiculed, you know, you know, in the public and seeing who doesn't, you know, exactly. It's seen and seeing her predator be glorified in a way that she doesn't want to. Right. And then there's been documentaries about this that helped shed that helped bring her that type of freedom to want to come forward. And that's why I think she's seeking small amount of money. She just. She wants him to get what he deserves. Like, I think a lot of us do. Like, I don't think he should ever take a snap in the NFL ever again. And I, I, uh, again, waiting patiently to see what the fucking commissioner does, which I still think he'll get a year and he'll try to maybe try to appeal and then he won't get it. And then you'll be out a year. And that's where I think will happen. That's, I think, what we've been, that's been the small rumors have been alluding to, but this has been kept very tight shut so indeed sadly we'll still have to wait and see charges drop against jerry judy from that weird incident uh it was an enhancer cause where basically his woman ex something wouldn't give him something of his so he held something of hers and she called the cops on that childish shit there's never anything serious there no then you got a slight uh dip in in uh Slight dip right. in value for him at that time. Uh, 
So another unfortunate death in the NFL. Car- former Vikings first round pick and current Cardinals cornerback Jeff Gladney killed in a car accident on Monday morning. Gladney was 25 years old. Um, tumultuous into his time with the the Vikings. Still not something you ever want to see. No, he had his 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 infamous his infamous lawsuit that I also believe got dropped. It did. Yeah. Um, still very sad to see 25 years old, like you said. Um. It's just a, uh, I'm wondering if there'll be some more mental health stuff to come out about him too. He's had a pretty tr- uh, troubling start to his life. So I'm sure he's seen and had to deal with a lot of shit that many of us wouldn't want to go through. Indeed. Um, let's see a couple more updates. Chris Olave hype. This is another buy sell type situation. Are you buying it or, or not? So um, Jameis Winston came out and said that Chris Olave is as smooth as the other side of the pillow, which Dan, are you secretly Jameis Winston? I feel like that's the greatest saying, and it's so hard to dislike Jameis with. How can you not? Between the, the workouts shit, he says, man, the hype species and everything. He is a goofy some bitch and it's great. I love Jameis Winston with, with all my being. He is, he's one of my favorite people. Um, let's see. Four, and then, uh, assistant GM Jeff Ireland, who's been around the block a time or two, uh, reminds him of some players who have played in our league, the Marvin, Marvin Harrison's, who were just silky smooth and effortless. Chris Olave is a guy that I still look at and think it could be a slow start just because of the Saints offense. And, you know, you got Slant Boy that's going to be back there for a bit and demand some of those targets. And unless the Saints are going to unleash Jameis Winston, you're not going to see high volume go his way or to either guy. So I love Olave long term. It could be a slow start. Olave is a guy that you know I want to buy. That yes, all of the talent in the world is there. I'm also probably looking to buy Olave sometime near the end of next year, um, projecting a slightly disappointing rookie season, but still believing in that upside. There's there's a lot to uh, there's a lot of things that are working into Olave's uh, benefit here. So Michael Thomas is big setbacks. The fact is he may he may start he may not start the year healthy, which is going to give Olave the opportunity to to firmly establish a wide receiver one role. I agree that once Thomas comes back, he'll have like he'll he'll have his target share. Like he'll he'll command his targets. Um but with Jarvis Landry there, I don't think Olave is going to play inside, which is going to free up his route trees, which is going to free up kind of the more high valued uh big plays that you know that a guy on the outside can get and just given his draft pedigree what his his strengths were as a college receiver um he's in he's in firmly in a top three rookie production right now for the wide receiver position he's up there with london burks and and potentially sky Moore for being the the highest producing rookie receiver, just given how everything's breaking in his favor right now for him to not only see the field right away as a starter, but to be a productive receiver starting out, you know, praise from Winston praise from the coaching staff. It's only a good thing. And this continues to remain true throughout, um, you know, the rest of OTAs and the training camp and into the preseason, it's only going to go up from there. And, you're going to see his 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 value skyrocket. So, I mean, if you're not in a lobby truth or you can have a sell window right now, yeah. kind of. 
You kind of do. But I would wait because he's going to, I think he's going to start off the year, especially if Thomas isn't healthy. I think he's going to be the one that's going to start off pretty hot from the rookie position. Yeah. We'll pay some close attention to that as it gets closer on what's going on with Michael Thomas and where that situation's at. Yeah. Um, let's see. No limitations for Traylon Burks. Just going through some injury updates here, um, which not a lot to be concerned about right now with some of those guys. Mm, Baker Mayfield, things coming out about that. David Njoku, four-year, $56.8 million contract extension. Tight ends are getting paid this offseason. I mean... A lot of money came up free, you know, from, you know, from the TV deal and from the non-COVID season. It's a matter of time. You know, he is, uh, <laughs> I do, I, I, despite my disgruntle for Watson, this, this offense in Cleveland, it should be a hell of a lot better. We hope the scheme will change then with them moving from, you know, from Mayfield to Watson. I don't know if Joku is going to pay off this year, depending on what suspension Watson gets, because let's be honest, Brissette is a shit. But um, he's a buy. I mean, he got paid. He got he's got a second contract. He's still very young, and he was a very raw prospect coming out that had to battle his own injuries and his learn his own way through trying to transition from a college right into a pro tight end. So, and Joku has got to be up on that list. I don't know if he'll be a top three or five tight end ever in Dynasty, but he's got easily top seven upside. It's always going to be the upside you're chasing. Just can't quit. It's hard to do. It's very, I mean, his profile is so fun, but yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Christian Kirk is quarterback friendly. Yeah. He's smart, apparently. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, cool. (laughs) Hey, for you, I guess. Jameis Winston's trending well in his recovery. Did almost everything at OTAs. They did say he had a noticeable limp, but he's coming off of Denise the L there and it's June. So talk to me in two months, see if the limp's still there. He's probably still some mobility things being worked out if I had to guess. Yeah, same here. Not too worried about it right now. Uh Michael Thomas not ready to return to the field, but he is apparently doing well in his rehab. So don't not too many concerning flags there other than he's not on the field yet. Jeremy McNichols to the Falcons. Fucking. <laughs> like, that's why I want to be one of the widest backfields out there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> this is like chasing. Oh, it's so ugly. That Atlanta backfield is so fucking gross right now. It's pretty gross. Oh, Jesus. Tyler Algier is not bad, though. All right, cool. Um, that's the end of that segment. So, all right, we're going to get into, and yeah, we're going to do that now. Okay. We're going to get into his ADP. Uh, we're going to look at Dynasty ADP, just kind of walk it. If there's anything surprising, kind of go round by round. Um, we'll go, yeah, we'll play it by time. We'll go round by round and just kind of talk about if there's anything we see surprising, whether it's too high or too low. Dug out two old drops for this one because why make new drops? Because you change the format. That just takes extra work. Ooh, that's old. I represent the rent is too damn high party. Okay. I don't. I don't even remember that drop at all. Oh God, we're getting copyright claims. 
There's no way that's not getting a copyright claim. I missed it. What was it? I'll do it again just to make sure it actually happens. Where the whiskey Ski drowns, drowns and the beer chases, chases my, my blues away. away, and I'll be okay. okay. Oh man, the metal cover of that song is so fucking glorious. Einstein shrines, they're not around anymore, but god damn it, that cover was great. I also, yeah, you really could not understand that drop. It says too low, and I only know that because I recorded it, but damn, that one was distorted too heavily. What were we doing in year one? What are we doing in year six? <laughs> good, good question. All right. First round, uh, just going to work through this. We can go, we'll go position by position, talk about some guys if anything comes up. Uh, 101 off the board is Jonathan Taylor. Um, 102 is a virtual tie between Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Uh, then you have Najee Harris, Javonta Williams at the 107. All right, I'm going to pause there. That's the yeah, first I, one that jumps out. Like, Najee Harris at the 104 for volume. Okay, fine. Jonathan Taylor, clearly probably the best back in the league right now and the most reliable. Uh, Javonta Williams is still in a split backfield. And while he looked good in year one, he wasn't, like, elite. He's younger, sure. But, I mean, for him to be going... So, he's basically five, seven spots ahead of Brees Hall. Um, six ahead of Joe Mixon and five ahead of Austin Eckler. Where's the Andre Swift on? I don't see Swift on here. Swift. He must not have been. Hold on, let me pull up positions. This is uh, there's been sixty for a draft. So for those wondering, we're using we're using FF Kelks, um, ADP. Uh, sixty four drafts have happened over the last two weeks. So these aren't the greatest of, of knowing dynasty ADP is so very tough to get right now. Cause it's all based on startups and not a lot of companies are doing startup mock drafts right now. So, you know, bear with us. Where with the hell this. is DeAndre Swift? He's not even in here. He must not have been drafted enough. Cause you look at the, even like the times drafted are all over the place. So yeah. um, it's going to be tough, but you can really go off of just what we've been seeing. Javante Williams, it's this really speaks to just how difficult, like how much the running back, like the top of it starting to fall off. Like you're yeah. the 2016 and 17 backs, the 17 drafts historically strong, you know, for the running back position. 18 has been a big disappointment, you know, with what happened with Geis, Michelle, Penny, and then, you know, you know, Barkley in his own right. Yeah, Chubb never really you know, got to shed his uh, his first and second down grinder uh, detail because he's always been paired with a running back that can catch passes with him. So you get 19, which is was a bad class. Uh, 2020 is outside of Jonathan Taylor and and Swift in his own right. It's gone off to a very slow start. Yeah, um, with how strong that was supposed to be. So we're starting to see the ripple effect of that of. A split back for running back with a lot of truth or status to him. Is up we've gotten this. Hi. I'm gonna pull up I'm gonna pull up uh KTC. So for those of you who don't know what KTC is, it's a it's the closest crowdsourcing that we have for fantasy football. They don't really do ADP, but they do rankings based off of the people that join the site or not join the site, but that just 
I click on the site, it won't give us where they're being drafted, but we can kind of get an idea of, of, of who's how they're being ranked. And we yeah. can kind of get an idea of, of what round they're, they're probably going in, and we can kind of go off that. So I'm going to pull that up real quick. Okay. Uh, looking at regular ADP, which has 2,000 drafts, just re- regular PPR ADP, it makes a little bit more sense. He's going at the 112 behind guys like Kamara and Chubb and McCaffrey and Cook and, you know, more of your expected people, I yeah. guess. So. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, that's it, it, it's not not knowing Swift would be right around that range, but it, it like that tier two of running backs, is, in my opinion, is very clumped. And it's going to feel like it's in. Really, it's going to feel like you're paying a premium drafting some of those guys in the middle of the first round. Yeah, because there's a lot more question marks around them instead of guys like, you know, C.D. Lamb, A.J. Brown, uh, see Cooper Cup is another wide receiver that's up here in these rankings. So or these ADP results. Yeah, Cup's probably the his age is why I age think is, is scared a little people off. But yeah. man, like he's in he's in one of the most like he's one of he's he's in probably he's arguably in the best spot uh, given his skill set. Like there isn't a uh, coach that schemes a player, I think perfectly, especially a wide receiver, perfectly as McVay does for Cup. And then you just add in a better version of Jared Goff, and you get what we got from Cup last year, and that should remain the same. I mean, he's yeah. he plays as the inside guy. He's not a great wide receiver against man, but he's arguably the best receiver in the league and, and maybe over the last you know, 10 years against zone coverage, which is what you're going to see a lot coming out of the slot. And he's a good route and runner. This. And he's a fantastic route runner. Kind of you know, carry too, him another so. four to five years. So at least. And he should be tied to Stafford McVay for about that long too. Yeah. Yep. So. It'll come off, but you still got a couple of years of Cooper Cup being decent, I think. Uh yeah, C.D. Lamb, A.J. Brown, good with both of those. Austin Eckler at the 112. Makes sense to me. Saw some people, he, though, that were just looking at Twitter and some of the court of public opinion. I mean, I was scrolling through there today, and there's a ton of Austin Eckler hype, though, going into this year, particularly with, with redraft and how high people are willing to take him. Like, well, I mean, he's he, he's in a perfect spot to smash this year. so But... What's changed that much from last year? I mean, he's going over Dalvin Cook. I mean, that's probably based off of preference. I mean, basically, Ecker is what, like the CMC light, but he's on a better offense, more scoring opportunities. He's going as the RB3, looking at the 2,600 regular mock drafts. Yeah. Behind Taylor and Henry, Henry 102 coming off of a foot injury. Um, I had a Najee Harris, Dalvin Cook, and then, yeah, McCaffrey and Chubb at the 104. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, I, it's a guy that catches Pat says he's going to, he like, he's, he's, he's the only running back that I think, I think I saw it was Josh Rucker that posted only one running back in the NFL. Oh, there's been, there's been two eight plus touchdown receiving seasons from running backs. They both have been, by Austin Eckler. I think that the hype is built around the fact that because of his involvement in the passing game, high prolific passing offense with a insulated role, 
with very little competition for touches. I mean, he's not going to be a volume player for carries. Doesn't have the size for that. He doesn't want that. He's came out and said he doesn't want that. So he we're going to get all the high volume, he also all the high value touches. So that's, and that's where I think that this just feels ugly because, you know, reading through those names, like, let me just look at that again real quick. So let's read through these names. This is why running back feels ugly to me. Jonathan Taylor, perfectly good with that one at the 101. Derrick Henry, big back coming off a foot injury. Older back, too. Riding him into the ground, coming off a foot injury. He's Wait, he's the 102 right now in redraft ADP? Yeah. Oof. I don't know. That's that's so wrong in so many levels. Austin Eckler, Najee Harris. Austin Eckler, again, you mentioned all the, the pass-catching upside and the fact that, well, not really anybody backing him up. Or, yeah, Isaiah Spiller, truthers. Can't have it both ways. Um, and, you know, look, Austin Eckler is not a model for health. Um, but Najee Harris, all the volume in the world, right? But no efficiency out of that offense last season. How's that going to fall? You'll be on that. Dalvin Cook, you've got one year left on his deal. And then what happens? Beyond that, Christian McCaffrey hasn't been healthy for two years. Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is actually a value right now going at the 109, I think. I wouldn't say, I mean, for re, I mean, he's. He, I think that he has less questions. I have a hard. Some of those guys I, I just listened, listed ahead of him. I mean, I don't know. I, I tend to value pass catching upside more than anything. And for Dynasty, he's up. I, has he? Hold on. I don't even think he's been resigned. Probably either. Not. Uh, God damn it. Fucking positions. So, I mean, it, it's no, he has not. Um, no, no, he has. He got resigned last year. Three year deal. Yeah, so he's yes, he does have his insulated value. Also getting up there in age, and I'm trying to figure out a reason why he's that low. For redraft, it's because I think it's generally because he just lacks the pass catching work, and it's just the ages, you know, for running backs. And there's a lot of you know popularity with the running backs coming out, you know, you know, in the future, and and the Browns wanting to commit to a receiving back for him it just kind of caps the ultra ultra upside we haven't even talked about McCaffrey yet who I would take over everybody in redraft this year dynasty obviously not I'd still take Taylor Swift easily ahead of him but and probably more so just given his his history of usage as well but for he's gotta be healthy though he ain't been healthy for two years for that's what's scaring people off of CMC and I'm fine with that because uh it feels like every year half the running backs get hurt anyway. So I'm taking my, I'm shooting my shot on the running back with the highest upside in the NFL. Yeah. That's McCaffrey every uh, year. No problem with me. Let's see. Let me pull PPR here real quick. But for Dynasty, obviously it's different. I guess Austin Eckler did finish as the RB2 last year. I mean, he, he's got the yeah, offense by 45 points. He was clearly the RB2. Yeah. And, and uh, it's just for him, I think it's his contract. For dynasty-wise, I think a lot of people are looking at, I think he's a free agent after this year. Yeah. And he's 27 years old right now. He'll be 20. He'll be, he just turned 27. So it, it'll be 
He'll have a role. Who knows? I think he's still going to be a value for the next couple of years at the very least. That offense is going to be too good for him sure. not to be have value to him. All right, next second round, running through that real quick. Joe Mixon, it's a 201, finishes the RB5. Offense is showing a lot more explosiveness. I have no gripes about that. No. Uh, Brees Hall, it's a 202. I am perfectly fine with that, given the upside and the Jonathan Taylor-like profile. Yeah, that could easily pay dividends at higher than that if he has a good season. Again, this just speaks to the yeah. lack of – this just speaks to now the low, the low spot we're in for running backs. Uh, then you end up with Devontae Adams, which team change. Get paid. I, I, I still expect so much down, volume from him. Downgrade yeah. at quarterback, downgrade in offense. I mean, you know, but you look at who's behind him and Debo Samuel, injury concerns. The league will adjust to how he's been used, right? Does he stay as efficient as he's been? Um, Tyreek Hill behind that new offense with a quarterback that has deep ball questions, and then Stefan Diggs going five spots later. It's hard to it's hard to uh, I mean it's kind of in the same spot for for running backs not not as dire but Adams I think people are still banking off of the high volume. You know he's paired with his college quarterback. I don't really fucking care. That I don't was care. So that was a long this time point. ago. Um, but he's gonna have to, you know, he's he's got a lot more target competition with Darren Waller with Hunter Renfro. Mm-hmm. Um and like you said, you have at least you have one of the, you have you go from arguably the most efficient quarterback of all time to Derek Hart. Yeah. Like so the benefit is he plays in arguably the best scoring offense and or the best scoring division in football. He does. So a lot of you know, a lot of potential shootouts where he may not get the target share that he got in Green Bay, but he also get the volume. Mm-hmm. That's the redraft. That's the only argument I think for a redraft why he should be drafted as high as he is. But Dynasty, he's twenty nine years old. Will be thirty years old at this point next year. Um, he also hasn't been the perfect model of health, um, and the unknown future of Derek Carr in L.A. Um, Adams yeah. has been a sell for a while. He started off as a sell, especially when he left for the Raiders. Um, you know, obviously great for win now teams this year, especially, but the wheels could fall off at any point and he could take a nosedive just given oh, the uncertainty moving forward. I skipped something in the first round. Kyle Pitts is going at the 109. That see, I, I want it like I want to get mad, but like <laughs> No one rivals him. It's, Mark Andrews is the only one closest, and that feels like a massive just drop being, off from Pitts. I'm just being a positionist, I think, is basically what it comes down to. It's always going to be start, based on your scoring rules. Yeah, yes. I have to start one tight end, like assuming there's nothing fun going on there. You have to start one tight end, and the tight end volume in receptions may be that of a back-end wide receiver one, but... There's going to be two to three elite tight ends. That's been the rule for most years. And then everybody else is going to be clumped together and not provide a lot of positional variance. So, so, you know, you're passing up on guys like A.J. Brown, Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel, Terry Kill, Stephon Diggs, D.K. Metcalf, Jalen Waddle, Deontay Johnson. Just reading down the list here, not that I agree with all these guys. 
uh, McLaurin, Pittman, Evans, Moore. I mean, there's a lot of depth there, so I get like that's how you can separate your team. I don't know that I would take even a tight end that I project to be elite, which, by the way, has had trouble scoring touchdowns at least through one year. Um, that high above some of those other wide receivers or even some of the backs that have solidified roles like Austin Eckler, like Joe Mixon, like Brees Hall, like Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Nick Chubb. It's hard for me to say, yeah, take a tight end that high. Um, because, you know, Pitts and Andrews, you'll get there. Everyone else is clumped together. So I think for me, it's it's age. What he produced last year was very was was still you know very much historic. It first was. tight end, first tight end since what Jeremy Shockey to go over, not Jeremy Shockey was it Mike Dick to go over a thousand yards? No, it was Jeremy Shockey's rookie season. He just got over hundred yards, and it's thousand. Yeah, over a thousand. Over a hundred yards, yards historic. Over a thousand receives. Yeah, over a thousand receiving yards in his rookie year. So you get the positional scarcity, the fact that Pitts could easily perform as a wide receiver one if the touchdown variance goes his way. Yes, you have to go against that, but he's got very little, very little you know, target competition and a team that's probably going to have to throw a lot because they're going to be playing from behind a lot. Granted, the quarterback play sucks, but he's a mismatch compared to Drake London, who's going to see a lot of you know, the team's top defensive back. Pitts is going to be going up against potential slack guys, you know, your box safeties. Obviously, not every matchup is going to be a mismatch for him, but I understand why Pitts is going where he's at, just given the insane upside. I, and, and what I understand we the see. argument. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with first-round tight ends unless there's a tight end premium of some sort. I just, I can't. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you on that point. I'm making a devil's advocate argument for why somebody would. I almost took Pitts in ours, and yours is just a single tight end. Yeah, with some premium, but there's a little bit of premium, but still. I, I almost mean, took Pitts, and you know, in, in, you know, in the third round, which is a ten-person league, so you're looking at the back end of the second and a twelve-team league, but which is a full round later, and that's more stomachable because there's probably twelve guys I'd take ahead of him. I mean, back into the second, I'm okay with that. That's when you would. You know, that's when you'd normally see guys like that go, especially if they're younger. It's, you know, everything you're passing up to take him in the middle of the first round or near the back of the first round, rather, that kind of puts me off about it. I'll be very interested to see how many how many actual drafts has, you know, how many startups. Let me go look and see ADP. It's uh, it's astounding to me because. The offense is not going to produce a lot of points. I think there's going to be a lot of volume for Pitts. I think Pitts is going to easily. I think Pitts is going to rival with Travis Kelsey for production this year. So he's back of the third round in in regular redraft, and you know that is the tight end four. Like that feels like a little bit of a value because I th- I'm with you. I think he could easily be up there with Kelsey. Um, it's dynasty just. Look, it's excitement. Yeah, it's excitement, and I think it's the, the excitement. It's it's oh, like quarterbacks in dynasty and non, you know, a non two B super flex. Like yeah. we've seen, like you and I, you know, on hands, we you know, we saw Mahomes go, you know, first second round after his MVP season. Josh Allen's creeping up to that point now, and single QBs where the value just 
there's more of a positional value. And for wide receivers, a big argument, you know, to that is is the insane depth and and the overall, you know, flexibility that that tends to happen for wide receivers. Fair. You know, from the top, outside of the, you know, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson tier, everything else seems to fluctuate a lot, especially with how many moves we, we just witnessed this offseason, which we won't see again, but right. it's insane. A lot of fun. Um, Speaking of injuries, he's at the 204. Um, It's the tight end, too. Which that, that feels rich. That also feels high. I mean, you get... You get a better number one receiver in Bateman, who I think is a better fit for Lamar Jackson than what Marquise Brown was. You actually have Baltimore not addressing the wide receiver position after trading Marquise Brown, signaling they want to go to more of the MVP Lamar year where it's high efficiency, low volume. Andrew's not a model of health. It's going to get, I think he's still going to get a decent amount of work. I think he's being, I think there's risks. I think there's a lot of risks to him. I mean, I guess after Pitts and Kelsey aren't all the tight ends at risk at that point, but yeah, I would much rather just wait than to take a tight end and not try to fall in love with Mark Andrews. I like him, but I think Pittman, I already think Pittman, I think Bateman's going to take a lot more of his targets than what Brown did. All right. Let's start cherry picking some of these guys. Yes, go ahead. Jalen Waddle, 212. <sighs> it feels. It it should be fine. I just I just have a fear a fall on Tyreek Hill is gonna be an annoyance to him to start his career. That's all. For me, I feel like I would be more comfortable with Jalen because first off, it's not just the addition of Tyreek Hill. It's the A dot, it's how it was utilized, it's you know, the lack of yak with that A dot. Um on top of the volume hit, on top of the scheme change, which is gonna be more run heavy. Yeah, the you know I would want to put Waddle, you know probably how do I feel about you know for me Waddle back around guys like Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, Devonta Smith, you know Keenan Allen down there at the back end of the you know fifth round, Jerry Judy, Drake London, Elijah Moore, you know that feels a little bit more right. McLaurin, Pittman, Evans, kind of in that clump of people for a guy that. I still believe in the upside that got volume that really had a lot of things happen that kind of hurt his stock this offseason. No, by and no did, fault of his own, just the way the dominoes kind of fell. Is this for a redraft or for Dynasty? Dynasty. Okay. So right now, he's he's being drafted as a top 12 receiver in Dynasty, which is something that I... We had our... It's so much funny. So in our bourbon... This is, I'm glad you brought up Waddle because there's been a trade that happened. So it's on our bourbon bowl chat. Someone, someone was offered for, for Joey, for Joe Burrow. So super flex league. So Joe Burrow and Ronald Jones is a part of this. No one fucking cares about Ronald Jones for Jalen Waddle and Justin Fields. And I was on the Joey B side. Everyone was on, was on the fields and Waddle side. And a lot of it, a lot of it is yes, people still believe in Justin Fields. I, I do too, but a lot of it was also the the massive love for Waddle, which I do like, and I I am encouraged to see what this offense does. I I just I like. Waddle I don't think a he's lot. top twelve. I don't think he's a top twelve receiver right now. I, I just I he's don't not. think he should be ranked top twelve. It, it, he's not a top twelve receiver right now, and his situation got worse. 
right? I mean, yeah. he had volume last year, sure. He put up a decent season, but the dot wasn't there. The quarterback's the same. They led to that not great dot. I mean, I know Tua was hurt for a bit and benched for a bit or whatever, but, um, you know, he wasn't working deep. And then you add Tyreek Hill, you bring in Mike McDaniel, who is going to use the run game. He's a, he's a disciple of Shanahan, right? It's a run first OC. Run first OC. So, you know, that to me fades Waddle down into that clump in the fourth, fifth round of, you know, these guys from this year that are future ones. Yeah. And, 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 and not to mention, Tua hasn't broken out yet. No. Tua may not be on this roster in a couple of years. So then you have when Hill potentially leaves, drops off or retires, and Waddle, whatever does what Waddle does for the next two years, may also have a quarterback change. Now, the skill set is quarterback friendly because of how he operates and is used right now. But, I mean, there's a lot of concern. I'm still a big fan. I'm going to try to probably trade for him when he's a when he's you know when he hasn't hit his his mark this year, you can get him for cheaper. Because I still yeah. believe in the talent. Still very young. I do too. He was hyper productive as a rookie, which is a great sign for future production. It's just I think the growth is stagnant now for at least the next two years, at least. All right, uh, Saquon Barkley three hundred five and J.K. Dobbins three hundred seven. Let's. I, I have <laughs> Bark- Gibson's oh, Antonio Gibson's in there too, but. Um, I need to talk about Barkley and Dobbins for two different reasons. I think. Yeah, I think Barkley's too low and Dobbins is still too, too high. Too high. I'm with you. <laughs> I think Barkley is is too low given the talent that he has. He's like Christian McCaffrey, right? If you believe yeah. that Christian McCaffrey, who obviously this this didn't, but anyway, if you believe that Christian McCaffrey is still a top five dynasty back, you have to believe that Saquon Barkley is still a top five dynasty back. The reason should, that they haven't get, been is not all that different. It's yeah. not all that different, right? They've both basically missed the last two years due to injury. Um, I think the biggest difference is that Barkley did not look explosive um, when he was there. I don't know that you get rookie season Saquon Barkley again, but with the receiving upside, I think it's very reasonable to think that you get sophomore season Saquon Barkley again at some point, especially if the offense improves. Um and given how thin you are at running back, I don't know why you wouldn't want that pass catching upside higher than the third round from a dynasty I, perspective, even if it's a dart throw. I get the why it's so high. Barkley hasn't reached the McCaffrey levels of production. Should be on a better offense, Brian Dabble. The Giants have made some, you know, some good moves since. Um, you also the fact that he's he probably won't get picked up on his deal, so we don't know where he's good where he's gonna land to. I get why people may not have him in the same tier. I'm banking on upside when I'm taking Barkley. Mm-hmm. Same team upside here too. Yeah, and third same round can't be said. huge. Yeah, and you're not getting him as a one back one. You're likely going to pair me. I mean, I'm, unless you start not running backs the first two rounds, you're likely going to be pairing him with an RB one already. So you lose that a little bit of the downside to there. It's still a premium draft pick for sure, but. Yeah, Barkley, there is the sky's limit. He moves on from the Giants to a more productive offense like the Chiefs, like the Bills, 
like the Chargers when, you know, when Eckler, you know, leaves potentially, there's there's still a lot of upside to where he, he may land. But I, I understand the hesitation. The Dobbins one is the exact opposite. Yes, I think Dobbins is a great running back. He's on a offense that doesn't utilize the running backs in the passing game, and he's coming off of his own injury. I think three, I think third round's a bit rich, especially with the influx of running backs that should be coming in. I would rather just not worry about him. For redraft, I don't know where he's going right now, but if he's going in that third round range, I'm just going to pass on him. I just don't see the the pass catching upside to warrant uh, taking them that high. I get the allure at times because this should be a better offense with everyone healthy, but I just can't. He's not, he's not going to catch passes. Like it's almost right. worse Nick Chubb. It's worse Nick Chubb to me. And I wouldn't pay that high for Nick Chubb either. So in redrafts. No, I, I wouldn't either. Dobbins. Here's what it comes down to me, right? We talk about Barkley. At least you have some track record of something. Dobbins, you don't. You have a track record of injury, and that's it. You don't have, really have a a track record of anything with Dobbins. We've seen that Baltimore is going to use our BBC. Their best. We've seen with running quarterbacks time and time again that when you get down by the red zone, your touchdown upside is severely limited for your running backs, and. You know, you add Tyler Beatty, who's a guy that profiled really, really well. You have Gus Edwards, who's been a a worker horse for them there still. And you're just going to bet on J.K. Dobbins is just going to get it and be up here with, you know, with the upside of Saquon Barkley or um, the guy who's right ahead of Kenneth Walker, the thir- Kenneth Walker who's rookie going to Seattle that everyone believes is super explosive, who's landing in an offense where the other two backs have no track record of staying healthy with that's going to lean on the run game that has a track record of running more than they pass and not because of the quarterback. So I, I don't get him being that high, I guess, at all. Well, just like Walker, there's a lot of Dobbins truthers. I like I still like him. I think he's a great friend in Baltimore. I think he's going to be fine. He's he's a very efficient runner. He was. Like I said, he's Nick Chubb White. Yeah. He doesn't have the size or the touch on the upside of Nick Chubb, but he's Nick Chubb White. And I get the allure of those backs because running backs, you don't catch passes, especially in today's world. Also, at times, tend to get undervalued because they tend to get looked over for the pass catchers. Or I'll just ignore and just go for wide receiver instead. I'll take my running backs in the first round or two and then just punt the position afterwards. But I, I I get it, yeah. But I'm not I'm not there. All right, looking through the rest of us, I think the the clump of wide receivers here in the fourth and early fifth round is pretty interesting. Um, it's an eclectic bunch, if you will. Okay. okay. Well, you've got Terry McLaurin, who okay. had a very down year last year because of quarterback play, who upgrades to Carson Wentz, who's on the last year of his deal. Eh. You've got Michael Pittman. He was on his fourth quarterback oh. in as many years. I I, still, I love Pittman. I like Pittman a lot, though. You got Mike Evans, who apt, who is up there in age, and after this year, you don't know what's going to happen there. And then you get young with Elijah Moore, Jerry Judy, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, and then you get old again with Keenan Allen. 
very interesting, like you said, because like, Mike. Yeah, it's quite the mix of. I can't even say it's quite the mix of floor because my, the way Mike Evans works, like Keenan Allen is a good mix of floor in with some of these guys. But it's quite an interesting range here of just guys you believe have floor, guys you believe have upside, guys that are on good offenses. I mean, you can spin the narrative, I think, for all of these guys either way. Devonta Smith is right there, too. For all of these guys either direction, and it's just kind of a murkiness of, yeah, I mean, I don't hate any of these guys, and I don't know that other than Drake London who's got questionable quarterback situations and I really love any of them either. I mean, I mean, it's that collection, like you said, of, of floor versus upside age, you know, young versus old Mike Evans should be lower than the fourth round. His whole thing is tethered to Tampa Bay, really to Tampa Brady. Yeah. Um, Now he gets to start the year off as a lone wide receiver one because Godwin's probably not going to be ready by the turn of the season. And Russell Gage is just a guy. So, yeah, I get that allure there for Rejap, but for Dynasty, where it's you have to take age into account. Yes, he's one of the most productive receivers in it all. He's been one of the more disrespected receivers for a long time. And Dynasty, though, I think he's always been valued pretty properly. And I think it's time to start that that fade. Um, but everybody else, I mean, Keenan Allen, you know, fifth round, you get a high floor productive guy on an elite offense tied and tethered to one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL. Would much rather have Keenan Allen over Mike, Mike Evans. I would have Keenan over a lot of these guys because of his style of play, the way that he plays wide receiver position and the fact of, of what the offense should look like. He'll eventually be faded out, but this could be, he could be the next Larry fits in terms of, just continuously produces and produces and produces until he's in his mid thirties on knowing the next crop of receivers that join that offense. Cause he's just too fucking good. And, and Herbert trusts him, you know, so much. So, and, yeah, but Pittman's the one where I, t- I take Pittman over Deontay Johnson and over Jalen Waddle to be perfectly honest. I think Pittman's upside is insane. I mean, Matt Ryan's going to lock him. Yes. I think the constant change of quarterbacks a bit annoying. That's going to continue to happen. But I think Matt Ryan's a part of that team for at least a couple of years. I think he is the bridge to the future and Pittman's skill set and the way that they want to use him in Indy just fits that range perfectly. I think he's, he's, in, in, he's one of the most efficient receivers too. He's very he's good. Basically an extra two to three targets a game from being in that elite tier. That's the only thing that's stopping it right now is just the fact that he didn't get the target volume last year with Carson Wentz and, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's buy Terry McLaurin, who just yeah. picked up a uh, Pittman's old quarterback, right. who also just saw a wide receiver go in the first round to that that said team. So yep. I'm off McLaurin. Um, it's a good story, you know. I, I got out at a good time, I think. Yeah, I mean, I you could have got a bit more for him, but I hmm. I think right now it's probably going to seem fair. I think when you traded him, you could have got more for him. Now it probably feels more about right. Elijah Moore too. Like, I'll buy the dip. Like, wide receivers who are that productive that early in their career, you just just can't ignore. And really, all three rookies here, too. I'm okay with at this this point, especially Burks and in London. I mean, you're going for, you know, for pure young age and upside over, you know, proven talent. That's pretty much what, what, excuse me, what we see here. 
Next group of backs gets a little interesting. David Montgomery, uh, Elijah Mitchell, Zeke Elliott, Leonard Fournette. Uh, Fournette, obviously, right now you're kind of playing championship team to championship team with him in Dynasty, or at least you should be. Yeah. You ride that until the wheels fall off, and if you're not competing, you move that for value to somebody that needs it. Um, Zeke being yep. down here is interesting because it shows that, you know, earlier in the off season when we said sell him, like trade, get out, we weren't alone. Um, I think a lot of people have seen the explosiveness kind of fade and the efficiency fade uh, for Zeke Elliott with the emergency of Tony Pollard. So he's, you know, he's down here actually behind David Montgomery and Elijah Mitchell now at the point to where I would almost think if I'm a buy startup, dude, this is a buy. I mean, this is absolutely value because if he puts together another elite season, he's either going to carry your team or you're going to get a hell of a haul for that. Just look at the contract. Dallas has been they're locked Dallas, to him. Just like Carolina is with CMC, they are desperate to move out of that contract, but they're finding no one wants to pay it. They're gonna have to pay it themselves. He I think he eventually will, but yeah, he was hurt all last year. Highly prolific offense with a shit ton of volume. Tony Pollard, we gotta love him. He has this role, and that's not to completely destroy Zeke. Zeke's still going to be a value. Like he's, he's been he, outside of one year outside of this past season. He's been relatively healthy. Yeah. The year I, before I, it wasn't that. him. It was Dak going down that made yeah, the offense t- a little one dimensional. Oh yeah. That offense was so fucking bad without Dak. I'm buying the Zeke dip. Like I think he, like I was pissed when I missed on him on our draft, but I, I, I've gotten Zeke a few, you know, in, in a few of my leagues, he is, league winning upside to him right and that he still does and that doesn't mean that it's still not a look for your chance to get out what it means is that the the value has fallen far enough to where it is a value again at this point so and that will happen right you're trying to appropriately rate guys when the market values them more than you do you move them when you value them more than the market does then you acquire or you draft them at value this is a value where i would take zeke you know, the guys ahead of him in Dave Montgomery and Elijah Mitchell, you know. And Aaron Jones. Aaron, Aaron Jones, Jones is going ahead of him. Yeah. And makes no sense to me. There's some intriguing things there because you've got, you know, the constant threat of Dylan behind Aaron Jones if he falters at all or gets hurt at all. For Dave Montgomery, his role's solidified, but on a bad offense, and he's not re signed. And Elijah Mitchell. Has no draft capital, but looked explosive last year. I'm and okay. Got hurt, yeah, and got hurt constantly. Now that doesn't mean. Am I? Do I have a problem with David Montgomery or Elijah Mitchell in the fifth round? No, because there's some of the better RB2s you can get. The the volume's completely insulated there. You're not going to worry about those guys, you know, not getting their work. But the longevity isn't necessarily there with either guy. I don't think. Yeah, it's uh I mean at this point all the young studs are gone obviously. And you are taking guys that are there to either move if they blow up because your team can't you know can't win games or you're going to ride the high streak until hopefully you win a championship. I I I feel more comfortable with Zeke. I think he's still going to be in the Cowboys this year and next year. I feel a lot more insulated with that. You know, for Nets, who's going right behind him as more insulated value than Montgomery and Mitchell and Jones. It's just whether or not he leads with Brady when Brady retires. And then you get 
that jump into the Miles Sanders and Clyde Edwards Alaire tier, which again is it's in the same boat. These guys are not a part of the future. That's why you take your running backs early or you take them in your rookie drafts when the price to take on them is significantly cheaper than when you try to trade for a top five back. I mean, just ask Sean in our, you know, in my dynasty league how much it costs to take Jonathan Taylor. You know, those are the price you pay for these elite backs. So at this point, you know, in the draft, you want to aim for short-term upside. I believe it was Larky that said he doesn't look beyond two seasons at running back. because There's no need to. No. So much can change in a year or two. So it's much can change. the same argument that we've made as far as, you know, why rebuilding around wide receivers makes a little bit more sense unless you're drafting the running back to flip the running back. You basically... You solidify your championship roster with run running backs. The mold and the nucleus of your of your teams are your quarterbacks and wide receiver, especially in super fast quarterback. But your wide receivers are, are typically is yeah is the glue that holds your team throughout these years because they fall on the last four and generally the uh, consistent production from the top tier to middle tier. All right, high or low. Move through this a little quicker. Yeah. Um, so just going to throw some guys out there. You do the same if you see anybody that I miss. Uh, Cortland Sutton at the 602. That's fair. That's that's. I think that's where he should be. I think it's a little low for me uh, with the addition of, of Russell Wilson there and the talent levels that we've seen out of him. I think that he is a guy that I would want up maybe that I think can perform up another round or two. Um, I I think the guy in front of him, DeAndre Hopkins, five twelve. What do you think, low or high? So um, I think that's a bit I high. Think I think it's about right because okay. it's a you're losing a half year because of the Ped suspension, which I think has his value down right now. Um, he did start to tail off a little bit last season, but he is still you know elite and ahead of him, like. Okay, looking at what's ahead of him, and we'll, we'll throw something into this conversation too, right? Would you rather have Hopkins in a Hopkins or a Sutton or Devonta Smith from an outside perspective? I would take Sutton because I think he's the number one on the most prolific offense compared to three teams. Yeah, Hopkins missing the first six games, just half of your your rookie season, and in dynasty, he's already twenty nine years old. Like he's reaching right. the point where you're gonna. He's been but a Devontae Adams is also twenty nine years old, and he's going four rounds ahead, and is equally levels of elite. Yeah, but at least they'll start the so. first six games. <laughs> that's the only like you're losing I, half I, a year, and that's why it's down. That's why Michael Thomas's yeah. value is down in the seventh round too. Um, that feels high too. I, it, I have, I'm nervous. About you're Thomas. losing that half year, and that's the recency bias coming out to play. Um. Let's see. TJ Hawkinson, 605. He's behind Waller, Kelsey, Andrews, and Pitts. He should be ahead of Waller. The thing that concerns me with Hawkinson is he just may never reach the level that I think a lot of us want him to. He's had 100-yard game as his career. That was the first game of his career. He's and He's played through now you know, three full seasons. Granted, this is where the breakouts start, and Detroit's on the upward trajectory, but that offense, as it continues to include high profile talent combined with rookie, you know, with high rookie picks. They just went the first round pick of Jamison Williams. You got a lot of production from Amara St. Brown and Swift is going to take a lot of targets from that offense too on a lower risk volume offense. Cause I believe Dan Campbell is a run first uh, coach and coordinator for that. It's that it's probably right because of, of the position and his age, but 
He would have been around. I'm a little nervous on Hawk. A little he should, nervous. He should be about a round higher up there. I mean, as the offense gets better, you hope that helps it some. But, I mean, he was, before he got hurt last year, he was on pace for 80 receptions, 800 yards, and six touchdowns, just some quick rough math, which is Waller. Which is which is absolutely fine with what you totally want. Totally fine I, with that. I, I don't think he's ever going to reach the pits or, or, you know, to where, like, Kelsey wise or – the guys no. like Gronk and them. I just don't think he's ever going to be his team's number one option. But he can easily be that guys. tier two at tight end. And he's going to be around for a little bit. I mean, he's not. He's 24. I don't, so. I don't know. Yeah, he's absolutely young. Yeah, there's reasons why. There, you, just, he, that's why you should be. Ahead I got of my concerns, but you should yeah. be ahead of Waller. Absolutely. Completely oh. agree. Waller needs to be complete sell at this point. Hollywood Brands are trying to move him. So. Hollywood Brown, 609. It feels it feels what it should be. Brown came off of what could be his best season of his career with the Ravens, and he moves to a more prolific offense. But like he's he's valued, I think, properly. It's the flip side of the argument, though, right? Hopkins is out the first six games, so Brown comes out and performs those first six games at a super high level with Kyle with his college quarterback, which I do care about that a little bit more because they're not a decade removed from it. <laughs> you know, um, you're absolutely right. You, you know, then all of a sudden his value skyrockets. So I look at this and I see two opportunities. One, a guy that's going to be locked up there with the young quarterback on an offense that likes to throw that can be explosive, but a Shoney can be more than that. Um, but also a guy that can come out and absolutely kill it with a bunch of opportunity of the first six games of the season, and you can easily flip your return on investment. See, that's where I kind of am at. I, I like Brown. I've always liked Brown, but the dude is 165 pounds soaking wet. Yep. He will never profile and be a number one. It's, he, he does not have the size or profile of a guy that's going to lead or be top five in the league in targets. Yes, he's on a big play offense. Yes, he's on a very high up tempo offense that continues to underperform and cliff is not guaranteed to be that coach. So you may see that offensive shifts change and Murray still hasn't been resigned. And there's a lot of drama with that to it. No, I, I do believe that Murray's going to be the quarterback of the future there by all means, but there, there is Brown. There is a sell chance. If your team's not very good to, uh, get, you, know, you know, to get out, to get, you know, me, maybe a couple 23 first or to go after a young guy in this class that, that maybe profiles better. Um, Brown's going to be a lot of fun for redraft dynasty. I think, I think the price is fine. Cause he should be one of the better number twos in the NFL. Yeah. And then it starts to get a little ugly after this too. Jamison Williams off the ACL there. Won't go into that. Darnell Mooney at the six eleven. That feels fair given who he's going around, even though I don't think he's a long-term one there in Chicago. But I think it, he, I mean, he's right ahead of Amonra St. Brown. He was not a long-term one. Mike Williams, he wasn't a long-term one. Um, Michael Thomas, who's been hurt. I think that that's fair for Darnell Mooney right now because these guys are, are kind of upside twos, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, um, Mooney should, be, I mean, he's going to be the one this year. He'll be, yeah, he'll be the highest. Yeah. He'll be the one. You'll you'll see the shade like it's just just looking beyond this year. I he doesn't profile as that guy that's going to consistently be your you're in you're out one. He's going to be the one this year on a bad team, and he's going to benefit from that. That's why I think this is fair. 
where he is. Yeah. No, I, I don't, uh, I don't disagree. I, I, I'm not as high on Mooney as I think a lot of people are, but I think that, I think the bears offense, I, I, it may not matter who the number one is. I think that that team, you, you need Justin Fields to take a, a, a large step in efficiency forward. the same way you want that from Zach Wilson and from, you know, and from Lawrence, you need to also see that from Fields and it may, it may not matter. Yeah. Um, but I think you'll still be a productive mid number two for this year. And then that's probably your sell opportunity when they invest heavily next year with all that cap space they have. All right. Uh, I'm going to do three more. And really, running back gets a little ugly here too. So if you want to talk about there's, one of them, you're gonna have there's to throw it literally out here. I really don't care at this point. There's um, nothing really to talk about. Maybe Damian Harris going in the seventh round, back into the seventh, but there's man, really nothing. That's still okay. He's a guy that at least has a role right now. But like yeah. Ballard, what's the long term <laughs> role? Hilaire could be out of a job next year. You know who knows? Yeah. Um. No wide receivers around this area though. So skipping over Alave. You know, Ayuk, uh, Brandon Cooks at the eight hundred one, still just twenty eight years old. Constantly I mean, it's age at this point. I mean, you're you're basically looking at this from a productive veteran versus age. Yeah, like I think he fits. I think eight rounds great for him. If I can get Cooks in the eighth round compared to Hopkins, the back end of the fifth, I'm good with that. Like, I'm I I all Cooks does is produce. Uh, but all Cooks has in the last two years has been shitty quarterback play, and now he's battling some and he injuries. he still produces somehow. And he still um, produces regardless. So Cooks or Brand, or no, that's probably not a good one. Cooks or Darnell Mooney around earlier. I think I would prefer Cooks. I think I would too. Cooks or uh, Mike Williams. A cooks, Mike Williams is a fraud. Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at too, where I say he's low because he's at the 801. Those guys are going a full round ahead, and you know we won't quabble about people in the same round, but you know guys going a full round ahead of Cooks, I would clearly take Cooks over. Um, and really up there with Jamison Williams and Hollywood Brown, I think is more of a fair spot because Cooks, you know, or can reasonably assume that. You know, you're gonna get startable seasons out of him still, especially if you're building a competing team. He's a guy that you know, if you take a rookie, for example, like Sky Moore's going right with him, right? Yeah, that may take a little bit to come on. Cooks is a guy you want that's not gonna cost an arm and a leg that can fill that role until that rookie comes on. And you know, from a roster construction standpoint, I think that's an important value to point out. And I don't think, I mean, the, the nice thing, I guess it's nice and bad. I don't think there's ever a great sell window for Cooks because I don't think Cooks is ever going to command a window that's good enough to want to offload him by meaning you probably will never get a first for him. But Cooks for second round picks? Fine. It goes both I ways. Mean, Based it, on it needs, works, that's pretty fair. That's I think that's always a good thing. I, I think if you can get Cook, especially... As he gets older, I mean, I think he has a couple of years left of, of potential high end wide receiver two production. Maybe sniffs a wide receiver one mm-hmm. if the touchdowns go this way. We just got to. I'm praying. I pray. I wish he got traded this offseason. Like, there was something that wanted me more to move on 
from what is arguably the worst passing offense in football. Again. Again, like, just for the love of God, move him, please. But he'll be productive. He's Davis Mills' number one, so. Yep. Uh, Allen Robinson down here at the 804 and Gabe Davis at the 807. Robinson feels It's He moves to a very... He moves to a very prolific offense compared to what he was. I know you to scorn from a Bears fan, you know, perspective. He's played with you know terrible quarterbacks his whole career. Finally gets a good one. I don't know if he'll he'll meet his his value, but eighth round feels okay. It doesn't have to be the one. He'll be all right. I I almost I said low because I would take okay, him over okay. a guy like Brandon Ayuk, over a guy like Michael Thomas, a guy like Mike Williams, Monroe St. Brown, Darnell Mooney. In that offense, so you're right back in there with me. Yeah. Perfect. So I, <laughs> you know, I think that it feels low. My problem with Robinson, and again, we don't hate players; we hate ADP. Has yeah. always been the people that are like, he's a surefire wide receiver one. Well, no, he's not, and he couldn't be. He showed that he couldn't be the elite tier, and he's not gonna be a target hog. But having Cooper Cup there helps having Matt Stafford there helps and you know he should really be up with a guy like Cortland Sutton for me at this point um somewhere in between Sutton and Marquise Brown probably middle of the six is yeah, where I'm, I think I like that I like Allen Robinson here I still I still have my concern because his the way that he's been used for his entire career doesn't age well he's right up there in age so he's already struggling with target separation. Thankfully, he gets that he gets that aggressive quarterback play. Yeah. But you still have to take into account that Odell will probably come back. There's a good chance he comes back to this team, and you you, you get back a healthy Acres. Jared Goff in that offense up. kept three wide receivers relevant, though. So I think they in with Cooks, Robert Woods. Relevant is absolutely so, right. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what it comes down to is. At this point, in the eighth round, a guy, you know, you're looking for guys that can be relevant and have some upside. Especially if Odell doesn't sign until he's ready. That early part of the season is going to be big for Robinson. I think he's uh, he's going to be he's 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 going to definitely be productive this year. You're going to have a nice sell window, I think, at some point this season if you're not a competitive team. Yep. Gabe Davis is <laughs> he's been the true. Um, I threw this one in here just for fun. It's a good note. It, to it has on. to be. I think for Dynasty, his value has always been proper. For best ball, it is astronomically too high. He's going as a fifth round pick in best ball. Wide receiver like twenty four. Like he's going at he's going at his ceiling. Like let's be real here. But I mean, Davis is like he he fits the unicorn profile, right? He's on the best offense in football. He should have a chance to carve out that number two role, but he's absolutely showing nothing outside of one game. And that's where my concern has always been for him. Historically, these guys never hit. It's all based on, you know, it's for Davis. Like to me, it's always been based on gut feeling. I would love to have more game Davis on my team. This fucking cost is too high. And anybody that has them is not moving them because they drafted them and sat on them like they should have. Right. So good luck moving for Davis for a, a proper value because the people that didn't want Davis already moved him after the playoff game. But those that still have him want him. 
So good luck. Like he is one of the most untouchable players in fantasy football right now. His startup value is fine. You got him at a good value. Like your spot was perfect. I think where you got him as wide receiver, like to, to, 44 in the 12th round. Yeah. In the 12th round of a 10 team. So that's ninth round of a 12th team by that point. Like you got him at a fine spot. Yeah. I'm not like, and, and for me is it's not about just where you take them. And I'm a Gabe Davis about, guy. So, I mean, like, you're not, a realistic I'm a realistic Gabe Davis guy. Gabe Davis guy. I like <laughs> I, Gabe Davis. I was, I, I'm one of the, I'm one of them that's been on Gabe Davis for quite a while. It's just yeah. everyone else got on now and it's to the roof. And I, can't. I mean, I'm seeing multiple Gabe Davis top 10 threads and here's why. And, and, and some people put together great threads. I understand where he lies in. It's who's got to show me something instead of sub 11% targets. Like he doesn't command targets. That's by always been my biggest gripe with them. It's fair. And like he's boom bus because he's got no four. that he is. All right. We got a beer review and then that's our show. Hold on. Boom. I gotta find that drop. There it is. Beer review. Go ahead, Dan. Okay, so okay. I do want to say this for those wondering why we haven't talked really tight ends or quarterbacks. For one QB, they're generally priced fairly. Yeah. Josh Allen and Patchmer Holmes are both going in the third round, which to me still feels rich. Wait on QB and single QB super flex are going to be all properly valued. Tight ends outside of pits, maybe they're we don't really need to talk about it. So I just want to, you know, for the listeners at home, we're like, you guys only talked about running backs and receivers. Well, that's yeah, that's we why. did. There's a reason. That's why. Uh, as for this beard, just like this conversation, it's as obvious as it should be. If you buy a smoothie style beer that says strawberry banana milkshake or a strawberry banana smoothie style, and you don't get that, then something really fucking happened badly. This is a perfect representation of the style. We don't need to get uh, too much more into that. There is no actual, like, it's, it, it's good. You don't buy it. Like you buy it because of what the style is supposed to be. And you're going to get that, you know, 10 times out of 10 generally. So there you go. Fair enough. All right. Um, I had New Belgium's 1554 on the nose. It's chocolatey. Like they say, it's going to be chocolatey. It's a semi-sweet chocolate beer. Has some underlying toasted oat notes. I don't know what they spiced it with, but there definitely is a little bit of spice as you come through it. It's like more aromatic than it is on the palate. Um, rolls through light and crisp. Uh, a little bit of caramel comes out to play. Not a ton, which you wouldn't expect a ton in an English-style dark ale. Um, just because their malts typically are not caramely. They're chocolatey, they're toasty, they're bready. Um, you know, uh, slight toastiness. It's really like... It's kind of like if you took a porter and put it in a lighter body and made it easier drinking. Not quite as robust, not quite as heavy, um, but it's, yeah. So, kind of a British brown. It's like combination. It's a lighter porter, but it's a Newcastle with more flavor. I mean, it sounds, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's really a good. style that, I mean, I've had in white. I think I've had 1554, though. I think it's been a little... Probably it's been a, a couple of years. It's it's been a minute. I think 
back in my my beginnings of beer tastings when I joined Vinny's. But yeah, it's been a minute. But I mean, it, it's a great style for what it is, and mm-hmm. yeah. All right, that's our show. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. We will be back uh, next week to talk something or another. Until then, uh, one thing we should have mentioned in the intro and didn't, we spent it talking about mental health and the mental health potathon. Also, Pride Month. So, uh, yes. yes, be kind to those around you, support those around you, be an ally. Um, there's too much bullshit in the world to have any, any hate here. So, um, we don't tolerate it. We've made it very, very clear. Um, for anybody that's ever pulled up with any bullshit on this show. Um, you know, we don't need that, but again, be supportive, be kind, be an ally, um, and, you know, celebrate Pride Fest all over the place. A lot of fun. Hell yeah. Okay. We're out. See ya. Bye. Thank you.